There are many different forms of government around the world. There's democracy, communism, socialism, dictatorships, and so forth. But today I want us to look at the government of Israel. And its first government was a theocracy. In fact, it was the ancient Jewish historian, Josephus, who coined that term. He said, our legislator ordered our government to be what I may call by a strained expression, a theocracy, attributing to the power and the authority to God. In other words, at that time, it was God who was the authority. It was God who was the ruler of the people known as the Hebrews. Now, hundreds of years went past, and they decided they no longer wanted to be governed in a theocracy. Instead, they wanted a monarchy. They wanted a king. And the first two kings of Israel probably are the best-known kings to us. There was King Saul, who was the first king. We're going to look at him today. And then his successor was David, and we're going to look at him next week. But our focus today is on Saul. So take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning in verse number 10. So Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who had asked of him a king. And he said, this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen and they will run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties, and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest, and to make his weapons of war and equipment for the chariots. He will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants." And he will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. He will also take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flock and you yourselves will become his servants. Then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Today we continue our series from the Old Testament looking at characters and events in the Old Testament. And we begin today by seeing Saul's call to be king. Now prior to this time, there had been 300 years of judges. Men and women who were raised up by God to lead the people of Israel for a period of time. But now then, they no longer want to be governed by the judges. They want a king. Why? Why did they want to go from this theocracy? Why did they want to leave the leadership of God and have an earthly king? Well, there are three reasons given in verses 4 and 5 of our text. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. They said, First of all, we need a king, Samuel, because you have grown old. 
Samuel, you can no longer lead us because you are old. It's sort of like the Bobby Bowden syndrome right now. You know, he is old. We need to get rid of him. It's cash for clunkers. Let's get rid of the old and get something that is new and improved. Matthew Henry wrote, if he was old, had he not grown old in their service? And it was very unkind, ungrateful, nay, and unjust to cast him off when he was old, who had spent his days in doing them good. But they said, first of all, we want a king because, Samuel, you have been a good judge, but you are old now. Secondly, the failure of Samuel's sons. Look at verse number 3. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. You see, his sons early on appeared to have potential as leaders, but it turns out that they did not have the character of their father. One commentator wrote, his sons showed by their conduct that they did not possess his upright character and could not carry on his work. All right, why then do they want a king? They had been led of God for centuries. Why then did they want an earthly king? Well, first of all, because Samuel was old. Secondly, because his sons had been failures. And I think the real reason is the third reason that's found there in verse number 5b. Appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. We want a king like the other nations have. We want to be like them. You know the problem? God never intended His people to be like everyone else. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says in Romans chapter 12, verses, verse number 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, the Scripture has always taught us that as a follower of God, we are not to be like everyone else. But that's what Israel wanted. They wanted a king, and I believe the primary motivation was they wanted to be like the other nations. Matthew Henry observed a poor prophet in a mantle though conversant in the visions of the Almighty, looked mean or common in the eyes of those who judge by outward appearance. But a king, but a king in a purple robe with his guards and officers of state would look great and such a one they must have. The prophets are not impressive. Now, they know God, and they speak for God, but they are not impressive. What we want is a king in his royal robe and his entourage. Davis Dictionary of the Bible says they were turning from faith in the invisible God to put confidence in a visible king. We want to be like the other nations. 
I guess the thing that intrigued me about that verse of Scripture is that, it seems to me, is where America is or is going. We want to be like the other nations. We are not special. We don't have a special heritage. We don't have a special history. And so everything now is beginning to change. We are beginning to change now our values. Oh, my goodness sakes, I cannot believe some of the things that I see being accepted today in society. I would never have dreamed of that just a few short years ago when I was a boy. Would you? It is absolutely astounding to me. I see these changes that are taking place concerning our values. I see the economic changes that are taking place in our society. I see our belief system changing. All of these things that have been historic in our nation are now being cast aside. Why? Because we want to be like the other nations. That was Israel. They wanted to be like the other nations. And we see the response that was given, first of all, from Samuel in verse number 6. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Bible says when Samuel heard the request that he was displeased because he saw it as being evil. And he prayed. Quite a contrast to Aaron when the people of Israel came to Aaron and said, Give us a God to worship. Moses is gone. We don't know if he's coming back or not. And then Aaron immediately responded to their request. The Bible says that Samuel prayed. He sought the Lord. And then we see the response of God to this. In verse number 7, he says to listen to them. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people. In verse number 9, now then listen to their voice. Now, why would God say to the prophet, listen to them? Because, ladies and gentlemen, the request had nothing to do with Samuel. It was the people's response to God. That's really what it was. And so the Lord says, listen to them, because it has nothing to do with you. It is a response to me. He said, you ought not be surprised, in verse number 8, like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. God said, this ought not be surprising to you. He said, they have always been a rebellious people. In fact, the, the Isaiah chapter 48 says, you have been called a rebel from birth. And so throughout the history of Israel, if, if one were to go back and look at the history of Israel, you'll see repeatedly that they followed after the Lord, and then they rebelled against God. They followed after God's leaders, and then they rebelled against those leaders, including Moses and Aaron. In fact, the Scripture says in Numbers 14, 2, And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. So God said, I'll not be a surprise to you. They're rebellious people. He said, So give them a king. Verse number 9. Now then listen to their voice, however. You shall solemnly warn them... And tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. Give them a king. Folks, you know what? 
I guess worries me sometimes is that God oftentimes gives us what we request. The thing that bothers me sometimes is that what we want, God lets us have many times. As a matter of fact, in Psalm chapter 81, verses 11 and 12, the Lord says, But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. God said they didn't obey me. He said, so I gave them over to their disobedience. In Proverbs chapter 1, verses 30 and 31, they would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof, so they shall eat of the fruit of their own way. Listen, friends, it is so important that you understand there are times that we want those things that have been forbidden by God, and there comes a time when God says, I'm going to let you have it. If that's what you want, I'm going to let you have it. And that's what he said to Israel at this point. We want a king. He said, I'm going to give you a king. But let me tell you about the cost. Verse number 11. And he said, this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. God says, okay, you want a king, I'm going to give you a king. But you understand that that king comes with a cost concerning your children. Look at verse number 11b. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots, down in verse number 13. He will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. He said, you want a king? You're going to have a king, but understand, the king is going to have your children. The government, whatever it is, in my belief, has always wanted the children to perpetuate itself. There has always been a desire on the part of governments that I know what is best for your children. Parents, how can I emphasize enough to you the importance of instilling in your children godliness How could I adequately emphasize to you the importance in your home of setting a godly example for your children? Because understand, there are others who want your children to perpetuate their desires. That's what God says to them. You want a king? I'm giving you a king. But understand, that child is going to belong to the king. Verse number 12. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties, and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. In other words, he's saying, you want a king? I'm giving you a king. But understand, the king is going to become strong, and you are going to become weak. The power is in the king. You want a king? I'll give you a king. But understand in doing so that he becomes powerful and you become weak. Verse number 14, 
And He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to His servants. What else does He say? He says, you need to understand, you want a king, I'm giving you a king, but He is going to take your wealth and give to others. You want a king, I'm giving you a king. Verse number 15. And he will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. He talks more about that, and I think what the Lord is saying here. If you complain about your obligation to the temple, if you complain about your giving to the things of God, wait till you get your tax bill. You want a king? I'm giving you a king. But you need to understand that there's a price to pay. If you want a king, you're going to have a king. But you're not going to like it. Rejecting God is always a temptation. There's always the temptation that there's a better way. And we are tempted to reject God. Warren Wearsby wrote, in choosing Saul, the nation rejected the father. In choosing Barabbas, they rejected the Son. And when they chose their own leaders instead of the witness of the apostles, they rejected the Holy Spirit. Folks, there's always been a temptation that we reject God because we have always been a rebellious people. So we see Saul's call to be king. And then we see the flaws of Saul. Now, He had a good beginning, impressive candidate. In chapter 9, verse number 1, it tells about his family there that he was from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, Benjamin was a small but wealthy tribe, and you might recall the Apostle Paul was also from the tribe of Benjamin. His father was wealthy and influential, so he came from a good family. But I think the the kicker, the thing that really got the people is in chapter 9, verse number 2. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people. I think that's what appealed to the people. He looked like a king. We want a king? Man, here's this guy. He is handsome. He is tall. He is sharp. And they wanted a king, and he looked like a king. He even appeared to be humble for a period of time. In chapter 9, verse number 21, Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak to me in this way? See, there's that humility that is there. They were saying, You need to be the king. He was humble about it. Had a good beginning, but then the flaws began to appear. First of all, he was impatient. Samuel told uh, Saul to wait for him at Gilgal, and that he was going to come and offer a sacrifice. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse number 8, You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you should do. Now, this is the prophet Samuel saying to Saul, I want you to go and wait for me. I'm going to come and offer sacrifices to God on our behalf. But he was impatient. Turn over a couple of pages to chapter 13, verses 8 and 9. Look there. 
Now he waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring to me the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offerings. You know what the problem was there? He had no authority to offer the burnt offerings. That was not his place. That was Samuel's job. That was Samuel's assignment from God. He had no authority to do that. He was impatient, and because he was impatient, impatient, sometimes he acted unwisely. For instance, he had his army pursuing the Philistines, and he decided that they were not going to stop until they had conquered the Philistines. So the Bible says that Saul said, Cursed be the man who eats food before evening and until I have avenged myself on my enemies. So Saul was leading his army against the Philistines. He wanted to continue. He said, If anyone eats anything until they are defeated, he says, There's a curse on them. Well, his son Jonathan didn't know anything about it. And Jonathan ate some honey and came under the curse of his father. He was impatient. He was unwise. He was prideful. It's interesting to me in chapter 15, verse number 12. The Bible says, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. Now, he appeared to be humble, but in reality, in his heart, he was prideful. He blamed others for his own failures, his own sin. When, when Samuel confronted him about the, the sacrifice he had made, he blamed the people. And the Bible says in chapter 15, verse 15, And Saul said, They have brought them, speaking of the sheep he had sacrificed, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we have utterly destroyed. So he said, first of all, when Samuel confronted him, he said, well, it's really not my fault. The people brought the sheep. And he became conveniently religious. He said, now, we took the best of them and we sacrificed them to God. Now, isn't that a good thing to do? Even though it was forbidden, we took the best of them and sacrificed those to God. And then he rationalized his disobedience. He said, the rest of them, we pretty much destroyed. So, I mean, it's not bad. Well, the thing that I've done, it makes sense. The people brought, it's not my fault. The people brought the sheep. We took the best, sacrificed them to God, and the rest of them, we destroyed. Saul had a good beginning. But the flaws appeared. And then we see the fall of Saul. Because disobedience is never blessed. God rejected him. The Bible says in chapter 15, verse number 10, Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. Ladies and gentlemen, it's important to understand that obedience is desired by God and blessed by God. In fact, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Obedience is very important to God. Disobedience displeases God. In chapter 15, 22, and Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices 
as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. You see, with the Lord, all of this religious stuff we do is not impressive to Him. It is the obedience of the heart. It is obedience that pleases to God while disobedience displeases Him. And Saul was disobedient to the Lord. And the Bible says that God rejected him. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you from being king. So the Lord rejected him. And then David became the king after him. David, David really was humble. Now, Paul appeared to be humble, but David really was. Now, the reason I say that is because after David was anointed to be the king, you know what he did? He was anointed as king. He became the servant of Saul. He served Saul. He really was humble. He was courageous. He fought Goliath. And he really loved God, even though he had a lot of flaws in his life. The Bible refers to him as being a man after God's own heart. He really loved God. We'll look at David next week. But as I compare Saul and David, I believe that Saul became king because the people chose him based on his appearance. He looked like a king. God chose David based on what was in the heart. And the Bible says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Folks, God is still looking for people who have a heart for Him. He is still looking for young people, for boys and girls and teenagers and college students, men and women. He is still looking for people who might not be that impressive as far as the world is concerned, but they have the right heart because that has always been the people that God uses. Israel looked at Saul and he was handsome, and he was tall, and he looked like a king. And they chose him as their king. God looked at David, who was not even selected by his own father or the prophet. And God said, that's my man, because his heart's good. Let me ask you today, what about your heart? I'm not asking about your religion I'm not asking about your history. What about your heart? Because God is looking for people whose heart is in love with Him. In just a moment, we're going to give an invitation. And I'll ask you as we give an invitation to let the Holy Spirit reveal your heart to you. And if you're here without Jesus Christ, I would encourage you today to receive Him. Let Him come into your heart, come into your life. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. Our gracious Father in God, we come to this time of invitation and ask, Lord, that you draw people unto yourself. Father, show us what you see in us, that we might respond to your grace. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.
I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please, as we stand together. The choir is going to sing as they sing. This is an invitation for you to respond to the Lord. You come. I'll greet you as you do.